Great to see you, Purpose Church. I just praise God for how he has already used you in the year 2021. Uh, let me give you a few examples. Uh, Ashley Hans uh, sent me this email uh, just a couple weeks ago. Hello, Pastor Glenn. I just want to say a big thank you to you and all of Purpose Church. Work at the hospital has been especially stressful during the current surge of COVID. With many of our nurses getting sick, supplies running low, and the whole hospital filled to the brim with uh, patients. Our morale has been a little on the low side, to say the least. However, last week, our team and I got a huge boost of encouragement with a gift of yummy snacks. The cookies, chips, and other goodies were just what we all needed. But the most encouraging part for me was when I looked at the card and it said it was from Purpose Church. Not only was my stomach filled, but my spirits were lifted. I excitedly told all my coworkers, this is my church. That's my church. So thank you again for your encouragement and generosity during these tough times. Generous people really do transform the world. Kindly, Ashley Hans. Uh, let's continue to pray for our health care providers. Tiana Morrison uh, sent this picture to me. She wrote, Pastor Glenn, I was in a presentation provided by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine last week, and this image was in one of their slides. It was refreshing to see, it was referring to the fatigue healthcare staff are challenged by in our present environment. I couldn't help but see the spiritual facet of this as well, living, working with no hope. Um, it says the light inside has broken, but I still work. And that refers to not just people in our healthcare professions. Uh, this is so many people in our community right now. We're surrounded by people who the light inside has broken, <clears throat> but they still go through the motions. Uh, they still work, just like this uh, vending machine. And let's just lift up our eyes to the harvest and say, Jesus, give me the eyes of the people around us who may still be working. They may still be going through the motions, but the light inside has broken. And let's be used by Jesus to get that light rekindled once again. And then another example, Pastor Sham sent me this article uh, about our Duets Life Group uh, from Y Malawi, which is a Christian missions organization that our church uh, partners with in the East African nation of Malawi. Uh, they write, during this year, a senior Sunday school class at a church in Southern California, uh, that's our uh, duets class, decided they could make a difference. When they heard how precious Bibles are in the villages of Malawi that people pray for and are desperate to have the Word of God in their own hands, in their own home, in their own language, they decided to do something about it. As we near the end of 2020, this class has put close to 500 Bibles into the hands of people in Malawi. God has blessed their efforts in an incredible way. The gospel message is spread into areas where previously the Bible was not even allowed. Important chiefs have received the message and decided to follow Jesus. Fueled by the Holy Spirit and their new understanding of the scriptures, more and more Bible study groups are being formed. On just one occasion, a group was singing and worshiping during the evening, and a crowd began to form. The Bible study group began to share the gospel message. More and more people came as they shared, sang, and prayed. This continued late into the night. Before it ended, the crowd had grown to more than a thousand people and hundreds 
made decisions uh, for Christ. And then a final example, this past week, uh, Los Angeles County asked our church to be a COVID vaccine distribution site in March. And so your giving through Purpose Church is just making a tremendous difference, whether it's snacks at San Antonio Hospital, or whether it's people coming to Christ in Malawi, or whether it's uh, the COVID vaccine distribution in Pomona, or in hundreds of other different ways. God is using you to change our community and change our, our world for Christ. So let's continue to be sacrificial and generous to God's work as we launch into a new year. We finished the last year strong, and I'm so grateful for that. I praise God for that. But we've started a little slow here in 2021, and so I ask for your uh, continued commitment and, and faithfulness. You know, um, COVID has hit our income, and, and many of our people have particularly been hurt and hit by it. But you know, if you have not had your uh, finances impacted by COVID, uh, could you even give a little bit more uh, to help uh, cover for those that maybe are suffering more uh, during this time so that the ministries of Purpose Church can just continue to explode as they have during this uh, last year and into this new year uh, to see God work in just incredible ways. Now, today we finish up our Ask series with the most asked question that came out of our church family. How can we be at peace with each other despite our differences? That question was asked more than any other question. How can we be at peace with each other in spite of our differences? Now, if we didn't get to your question, uh, please don't worry. We're gonna try uh, to get to other questions uh, throughout the year and maybe even have some sermons and sermon series based on your input. So your input um, was very, very helpful and we will continue to implement it uh, throughout the year. But today we want to deal with the most asked question. How can we be at peace with each other despite our differences? And what a month it has been. Uh, here's a picture of our granddaughters, uh, Avonlea and Felicity. And they go to the House of Representatives Daycare Center in Washington, D.C. And their daycare center has been surrounded for the month of January. Their daycare center has been uh, surrounded by National Guard troops all around their daycare center uh, for the entire month. Uh, here's a picture from our daughter Abby's uh, office window. So our, our daughter where she works, or where she uh, worked at the HUD uh, department, uh, looking down from her office window. That's the site that she had. And so what a crazy time we are in. Uh, by the way, just a little side note, Jason Anderson, who's a part of our church family, and he's the district attorney for San Bernardino County, which is the biggest county in the world, and he's the district attorney. Uh, basically, he's the head of the biggest law firm in the United States, and so, uh, or one of the biggest law firms in the world, actually. And uh, he wrote an article, <clears throat> if you want to Google it, about what happened with the Capitol attack on January 6th. And it is just incredibly balanced. Make sure you read the entire article. If you read the whole article, you'll see the balance in it. If you read it from beginning to end, and, and, and you certainly may not agree with everything that Jason wrote, but I just thought it was a very interesting take on things and a very interesting perspective. And I, I would recommend that to you, even though you may not agree with all of it. I, I totally understand that. But I think there'll be some things that you never thought about and just uh, did a great job um, um, with 
with that. And he's been speaking all over Southern California, uh, over California. He's been speaking uh, about this issue and, and a perspective on the attacks, the capital attacks on January 6th. But again, what a crazy time we are in. Uh, Kimberly sent me this meme that I thought was really funny, but it was kind of sad at the same time. You know the bracelet, WWJD, uh, what would Jesus do? Well, here's a new bracelet uh, that's probably more accurate. Uh, J-W-P-N-H-G-H-I-T-S-I-T-F-P. Not um, what would Jesus do, but Jesus would probably not gotten himself into this situation in the first place. <laughs> I love my wife's uh, sense of humor, and I, 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 I got a kick, a kick out of that. Um, it's it's uh, so true. It's sad, uh, but uh, it is so true that the mess we're in, Jesus would probably not have gotten himself into this situation in the first place. Uh, why? Because our sinful nature just loves conflict. Our, our sinful nature loves conflict. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Uh, did you know that you, as a follower of Jesus, that you are mentioned in the Bible? As a matter of fact, it gets even better. Jesus actually prayed specifically for you. You say, Pastor Glenn, what are you talking about? Well, just hours before he died on the cross, here's what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning uh, for the disciples, the 12 disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us, passed down over the last 2,000 years. We're the ones Jesus is talking about. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, this is a heavy thing, but Jesus is basically saying that the more unified we are, the more the world, the watching world, will believe that Jesus was the real thing. Now, that doesn't mean he's not the real thing if we're not, can't get our act together and we're disunified. Uh, they would be wrong to say, oh, Jesus must not be who he claimed to be because the church is so disunified. But the more unified we are, the more attractive, the more the world says uh, Jesus, the witness is stronger that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And so that's a tremendous responsibility on us to protect our unity. I've given them the glory uh, that you gave me, that you also may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, the more unified we are, the world will know that you sent me, that Jesus is from God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, he is whether we're unified or not, but the more unified we are, the more people will be drawn to him and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, the unity that we're talking about today is unity in the body of Christ. I'm not talking about unity with the world. I'm talking about unity in the body of Christ because the world, uh, the outside world of non-believers, uh, those that are watching the church, but the world um, uh, the culture of, of those that do not follow Christ, the world defines unity as supporting them in their sin. 
And so unity is refusing to call sin, sin, which is something a follower of Jesus can never do. But this message is about unity uh, in the church. And the phrase that we use from history, we, uh, some say that Augustine in 400 AD said this. We're really not sure who said this in church history. But it's been around for hundreds of years, and we use it here at Purpose Church, is this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. So in the essentials of the faith, the things that are clearly taught in the Bible, the thing that just a simple reading of the Bible, uh, all believers will say, yeah, that's what the Bible teaches. In that, we need to have unity. In non-essentials, now by non-essentials, we don't mean that they're not important. It's important to have convictions on all kinds of things in life. But it's just saying that these, these things, the non-essentials, these are things um, that are not as clear. Uh, sincere readers of the Bible, sincere followers of Christ can come up with different conclusions on these things and different convictions on these things. So these are things that are uh, not as clear or they're outside of the realm of the Bible like much of politics is. Now, now some of politics is clearly taught about in the Bible, but much of politics is uh, outside of the purview uh, of the Bible. I remember um, years ago in the early 1980s, there was a Christian organization that came up with a list of 10 things uh, that should guide Christians in voting that they believed were, were biblical principles. And as I read through that list, I remember this years ago, the first few ones on the list, I'm like, okay, I'm with you. I think that's a clear cut. Uh, frankly, even it might even be an essential in, in scripture. I'm, I, I'm with you. But then as the list went on, I wasn't so sure. And then I remember this, number 10 on the list of 10 things was uh, the issue of uh, we should not give uh, the Panama Canal back to the nation of Panama. And I remember just kind of laughing when I saw that and said, okay, now you've lost me. Because I'm pretty sure that it's okay for followers of Christ to be in the same church, worshiping side by side, who might have different views on whether the United States should give the Panama Canal back to the nation of Panama. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's outside of the realm of the essentials of, of Scripture, and we can disagree. We can have liberty on those things. So in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, uh, liberty. But in all things, what makes it work is charity, which is, which is love. Now, in two weeks, in part two of our Colossians series, we're going to start our new Colossians series next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, the passage of Scripture I'm dealing with in Colossians is going to be a launching pad. And I'm going to talk uh, about how to handle lack of unity in the essentials of the faith. So two weeks from today, I'm going to talk about how to deal with the lack of unity in the essentials of the faith. But today, I want to talk about how to be at peace with each other despite our differences in the non-essentials. Now, there is tremendous power when we are unified despite our differences in the non-essentials. When we have liberty and yet still have unity and love for each other despite differences in uh, the non-essentials, there is tremendous power. Uh, I've seen God bless all kinds of churches, big churches, small churches, rural churches, urban churches. Charismatic churches, liturgical churches. I've seen God bless all kinds of churches. But the one kind of uh, church that I've never seen God bless is a disunified church. And that's why Satan fights 
against our unity so much. He, he fights that because he knows a unified church is a powerful church and that scares him. And so he fights against our unity. He tries to divide us. Uh, why do you get more annoyed with fellow Christians or things at church than in other areas of life? Uh, people talk about church hurt, but they never talk about restaurant hurt. Uh, how many of you had a bad experience at, at, at a restaurant? Um, and so you never ate at a restaurant again. Uh, now, actually, that's probably a bad example during COVID. <laughs> you say, Pastor Glenn, um, a waiter offended me in February of 2020, and I haven't been back to a, any restaurant for an entire year. Okay, okay, so maybe it's not a great example. Um, think pre-COVID or think post-COVID. Uh, how many of you have ever had a bad experience of a restaurant? How many of us stopped going to restaurants altogether after that? Of course not. We probably went to a restaurant uh, the very next weekend. Uh, and, and yet there are so many people who had a bad experience at church and never went back to church again. Why? I believe it's because of spiritual warfare. Satan is in the business of making church differences or differences between Christians more annoying and more hurtful than in other areas of life. Why? He wants to destroy our unity because he is terrified of the power of the church when it's unified. I saw a great headline a couple of weeks ago. It said, the Lakers are dangerously unselfish on offense. Uh, the Lakers are dangerously unselfish on offense. Now, that worked better a couple of weeks ago when they were on a tear. Um, this week, uh, they have not been on a winning streak. But think back to a couple of weeks ago uh, how scary uh, the, the Lakers were. Their offense is dangerously unselfish. That is, when they are unselfish, they are a dangerous team to play. And I would say the church is dangerous when we are unified and unselfish. An unselfish and a unified church is a dangerous church. Satan trembles when we are unified and unselfish. He is terrified of a unified church. That's why he fights and he tries to get between us and, and tries to divide us so much. Uh, great diversity plus great unity equals great witness. The greater our diversity... And the greater our unity in spite of that diversity, the greater is our witness to a watching world as Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. Our church is very diverse on a number of levels. We've talked about probably uh, in the top 1% or 0.1% of all the churches of the world um, is, is the diversity within our church, not just racial diversity or age and, 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 and gender diversity, but along with that, just from different perspectives uh, on non-essentials. We have a church that is very diverse on our convictions on non-essentials. And, 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 and it's a wonderful thing because the greater the diversity and the greater unity despite that diversity is the greater our witness. But we have got to protect that. We've got to be careful of that that wonderful diversity that we have. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, that two weeks ago, we as a church celebrated um, Martin Luther King's uh, birthday and, and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King two weeks ago. And then last Sunday, we celebrated or remembered the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. 
there aren't many churches that celebrate both of those things. Uh, that's, that's more of a rare church like ours. You can, most churches either celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday or Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. We're one of those churches that celebrates both. Now, I will tell you, if one of those two is, is, is your passion, it's, it's less annoying to be in a church that that's all they celebrate. It is less annoying. It is more annoying to be in a church that celebrates both of those things at the, at the same time, one weekend after another. Um, uh, racial justice, racial reconciliation, the legacy of Dr. King, one weekend, the sanctity of human life, life beginning uh, at conception, in the womb, uh, sanctity of human life, uh, Sunday, the next Sunday. It's hard to keep the unity in a church that celebrates both those things. But by the grace of God, that is what God has called Purpose Church to do. Because God has said, in this place, I am gonna create a group of people with great diversity. I am gonna, through the power of the Holy Spirit, exhibit great unity within that great diversity, and it's gonna be a great witness to the world that Jesus is who he said he was, God come in human form. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life to demonstrate that to a watching world. But we've got to guard it. Oh, church, we've got a purpose church, we've got to protect it. It's a fragile thing. Churches are fragile things. Um, Paul warned the church at Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Pastor Lisa preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Be careful about the anger that comes from our differences. And do not give the devil a foothold. Protect our unity. Protect the anger that comes when we're different from each other. Uh, don't give the devil a foothold. The writer of Hebrews says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and to be holy. Do you see this? We're not talking about unity with the world because the definition of unity with the world is to um, affirm sin, to not call sin sin, not to say that they sin and we don't. We sin. I'm the biggest sinner of all. Just ask Kimberly. Just ask my family. We're not talking about that, but, but they, they, the unity with the world says don't call sin sin. That causes disunity, and the gospel can be a very, very controversial thing. Following Jesus can be a sword dividing people when we call sin, sin. And here's where it demonstrates it. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. It's talking about within the body of Christ because it says, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root, oh, church, be careful that because of our differences on this or that, that it doesn't cause bitterness, a bitter root to grow up, which causes trouble and, uh, and to defile many. Now, let's spend the remainder of our time um, digging a little bit deeper. We've referred throughout COVID to Romans chapter 14, but I want to dig a little bit broader and a little bit deeper into Romans 14. Uh, let's start with verses 1 and 2. Accept, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So what we call non-essentials, Paul would call disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat every, anything, 
but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, so some people had no qualms about what their diet was, and others, um, their, their faith, they just wanted to eat only vegetables. Now, right here in this verse, faith is weak. That is not a negative term. Don't think of that as Paul is criticizing those people or putting them down in any way. A, a better way to look at faith is weak. Think of it as their conscience is sensitive. Not their faith is weak, but their conscience is sensitive. Uh, they had a sensitive conscience. And so some people didn't have a sensitive uh, conscience, and so they would eat anything, uh, meat that was offered to idols, um, any form of diet, they'd eat it all. Um, uh, but others had a sensitive conscience, and so they ate only vegetables. Uh, one of the reasons a person may be a vegetarian today is because they have a more sensitive conscience, and they don't want to eat something that was consciously alive. But here's the key word, if we could go back to verse one once again, accept, oh, this is a great word. In the Greek, it's proslambano, proslambano, which literally means to accept with warm wholeheartedness. Paul says, people that disagree with us on non-essentials, proslambano, accept them with warm wholeheartedness. Don't just tolerate them, Embrace them, accept them with warm wholeheartedness. Uh, don't make the person who disagrees with you feel inferior or unwanted. Uh, for them, back then, their disputable matter in this situation was about diet. But a parallel today might be um, differences between Republicans and Democrats, or between someone being cautious about COVID and someone being very cautious about COVID. Or maybe it'd be like the differences between having no concerns about getting the vaccine or having concerns about getting the vaccine. Uh, raise your hand right where you're watching right now. How many of you have an extended family member, somebody in your distant family, a cousin or a more extended family who looks at COVID differently than you do? <laughs> That's probably the dumbest question I'm going to ask for this whole, whole year. Uh, how many of you have a family member? How many of you have a Christian friend who looks at COVID differently than you do? Okay, and, 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 and we, we, have these, we have these differences. And so here's the first point that Paul wants to make from this passage. Each person is a unique combination of the stories they have heard around their dinner tables growing up. Uh, each person, each of us, is a unique combination of the stories that we have heard about non-essential issues around our dinner tables growing up. I like to imagine Jesus uh, sitting around the campfire at night with the disciples. And he said, turns to Simon. He says, Simon uh, the Zealot, Simon the Zealot. Uh, Simon, what are some of the stories you heard as a kid around the dinner table? Oh, my parents would say, Rome is evil, they're despicable, they're tyrants, they're oppressors. We need to kill them all. That's what I heard my parents tell, talk about over the dinner table growing up. Jesus turned to Peter. Peter, what are some stories you heard uh, growing up? Peter the fisherman, Simon the zealot, now Peter the fisherman. Oh, I heard my parents just complain about the high taxation of Rome and how tyrannical it was, the terrible, oppressive taxes of Rome. Heard them complain about it all the time. Then Jesus, Jesus turned from Simon the zealot, from 
Peter the fisherman, turn to Matthew the tax collector. Matthew, what stories did you hear uh, at the dinner table growing up from your parents? He says, well, my parents used to say, you know, Rome's here to stay. And if you can't beat them, you might as well join them and just cooperate as best you can and make the best you do. Actually use Rome uh, to make money. We're not gonna, they're, they're not going anywhere, so we might as well just get along with them and do the best we can. And so here are all these disciples around the campfire and, and they've all got different places that they've come from. They've heard different stories around the table growing up. And why are they all at the same campfire? What could possibly get these different guys with all their different perspectives around the same campfire? And the answer is Jesus was there. Jesus was also at the campfire. And so the zealot and the fisherman and the tax collector could all be there at the campfire because Jesus was, was there. What were the stories told around your dinner table growing up? What were the stories now share this in your life group, or maybe share it over lunchtime or when you talk. What were the stories that you heard around the dinner table growing up that shaped your views of those non-essential issues uh, where we should have liberty and still have unity with each other? You see, you are unique. You are an utterly unique combination. Nobody heard the same combination of stories around the dinner table growing up that you did. But other people are also unique. You're unique, but other people are also unique. And that's why they've come up with, with different conclusions, um, different convictions on things. Uh, I love this uh, little graphic here where there's this um, M or a W, depending on your perspective. And one guy looks at it and says, it's a W. And the other guy is looking at the exact same thing and says, it's, it's an M. Now, what we're gonna talk about in a couple of weeks is if God declares it, to be an M or a W, that's what it is regardless of your perspective. And so if God says it, if it's an essential, and God declares it to be true, if, if God says to this guy it's a W, even though he looks at it, it looks like an M, it's a W. And if God says to this guy, no, it's an M, even if from his perspective it sure looks like a W, if God declares it, if it's an essential from God, it is what he says it is, not from our perspective. But that's for a couple of weeks from now. In 57 AD, Christian families in Rome told two types of stories. Uh, one family would tell the story, you know, there's just not any uh, big deal about eating anything in our diet. That's what would be in one household story being told around the dinner table. But at the next house at the dinner table, they'd be saying, no, my conscience is, is sensitive on this and you should only eat certain things. In 1 Corinthians chapter eight, we learned that around 55 AD, there were two types of stories told in Corinth, which was a city in today, what is today the nation of Greece. And side by side, there'd be these two families living next to each other, but there'd be two different stories uh, told uh, that the Christians and those two families that live side by side. And one, the mother would sit down at the dinner table and say, oh, I was at the marketplace today and uh, uh, I saw Joanna and uh, she was buying meat that had been offered up to idols and was discounted meat that she was buying for her family. I just can't believe it. And the next family, um, where um, Joanna, the mother, lives. She goes, you know, I was at the meat market, and I saw Lydia there, 
And boy, she gave me the stink eye. She, she looked at me and she was very judgmental in the way she looked because I was buying meat that had been offered to idols and she would never do that. And boy, I felt the negative vibes um, uh, coming. I don't know if they said vibes in 55 AD, but she said, I, 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 could, I could feel that I was being judged. Let's pick it up with verse three. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has, there's that word again, has accepted them. And so uh, again, that word accepted, proslambano, God has accepted each of them, uh, regardless of their differences, with warm, a wholeheartedness. He has accepted them. Uh, verse, uh, verse four, it says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servant, stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. And so here's the second thing that Paul says. We should not treat with contempt or judge others who are at a different place on the continuum. You see, we all, in, in all, many different issues, issues, we place ourselves at a spot on a continuum. And we always think that where we are on the continuum is the perfect balance. We think, oh, we're the ones that, um, whether it's certain political issues or whether it's COVID or whether it's the vaccine, we're the ones that are in the perfect spot, okay? And so anybody that is, uh, is, 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 is more, um, uh, has a more sensitive conscience than us, okay, we treat with contempt, and anybody who's uh, less of a conscience than us, we judge. Okay, for example, like, like COVID. Anybody who is um, uh, to the side of us where, where they are just so nervous about COVID and, oh, they just seem to be excessively from our perfect spot on the continuum. Oh, they just seem to be way too nervous. We treat them with contempt. But then people on the other side who, oh, man, they just don't care enough about COVID, we, we judge. Or with the vaccine, those that are just nervous about taking the vaccine, Paul says they treat with contempt. And those that uh, have no qualms whatsoever about the vaccine, well, we judge them. And this is what we do on all kinds of issues. We see ourselves as the perfect place on the, content, on the continuum. And Paul says we treat with contempt people in one direction from us, and we treat with judgment people in the other direction. We all see ourselves as perfectly balanced. Uh, Deborah Tannen writes, the argument culture is where we demonize each other and finding common ground is seen as compromise and as weakness. Uh, Tim Muehlhoff and Rick Langer of Biola University have started something called the Winsome Conviction Project. And speaking of Biola, I just want to give you the sad news, if you haven't heard it already, that uh, John Wallace, the past president of APU, Azusa Pacific University, uh, he passed away uh, on, on Thursday night. So let's, let's be sure to be in prayer uh, for, his, for his family. Uh, but back to this uh, project, the Winsome uh, Conviction Project. Uh, Tim Muehlhoff writes, is it possible to start with common ground, areas of agreement, and work toward areas of disagreement, which would be a flipping of the argument culture? That's what we mean by winsome. Can we do this and keep our sense of humor? Can we do this and keep our convictions, but still show charity toward the person with whom we disagree? 
Rick Langer writes, oftentimes we state our convictions as if it's a way to end the conversation. Part of the Winsome Conviction Project is to say, how about if we started our, stated our convictions in a way that begins a conversation, that invites others to contribute, respond, interact, and therefore will deepen and enrich our convictions. And then back to Tim Muehlhoff again. The content is important. That's our argument. That's our conviction. That's why we feel strongly about a particular issue. But here's what we learned from communication theory. If the relational level is broken, no one cares about your content. If I don't feel respected by you, I don't want to hear your argument. If I feel like you have no compassion toward me, and I feel like you don't acknowledge my position, that I don't care what your argument is because we've been sidetracked. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 4, 15, instead speaking the truth in love. Truth, there's the content part. Uh, love, uh, there's, the, there's, the relational, there's the relational part. Uh, Proverbs uh, 18, verse uh, 2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Rick Langer writes, one of our biggest challenges is actually successfully achieving disagreement because we so frequently don't understand each other. If I can't state your viewpoint in a way that you nod your head and say, yes, that's right, that is what I think, then I can't possibly disagree with you because I don't know what you think. That's why Peter said, finally, all of you must be like-minded, be sympathetic, empathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble uh, is what we should be. He says in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then one that I didn't put in your study outline is uh, Colossians 4 verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so just to wrap up now, I'll read the rest of these verses without commentary. Romans 14, verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, and whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then... Why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So that each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And so the third thing that Paul says here is each person will have to answer to God, not to each other, not to other people, but to God. And then Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. And then skipping down to verse 19. Let us, make there, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. 
fourth thing Paul says here is, to be at peace with each other, we must be unselfish with each other. I want to close with a picture of a couple of my other grandchildren, Jem and Caroline. Um, Believe it or not, I made a New Year's resolution to not talk so much uh, about my grandchildren. And, And you can see how well that's going already done it twice in this sermon. So I promise I will work harder for the rest of the year. Um, This is not getting off to a great start, so much for my resolution. But uh, this is uh, taken on Monday, just this past Monday. Uh, My grandson, Gemini, uh, he's James Glenn, uh, so his middle name is the same as my first name, so he's named after his grandfather, after his pop-up. We played Candyland for three and a half hours straight. No exaggeration. We started at 10.30 in the morning and played until two in the afternoon when he had to go down for his afternoon nap. Um, And so we played, I mean, except a little break for lunch, but otherwise, three and a half straight hours of of Candyland. And I always tried to get him to win because it's, it's in the Bible somewhere, I think, that the grandfather is all, the 64-year-old grandfather is always supposed to let the four-year-old grandson win. I think that's in the Bible um, somewhere. I think that's an essential, as a, as a matter of fact, clearly taught. But as time went on, as we went two or three hours into, I mean, we, we must have played 20 or 30 games straight, he began to worry that I was going to bail on him and no longer want to play. And he was astute because after two or three hours straight of Candyland, the thought had crossed my mind. And so I was trying to get him to win, but now he was trying to get me to win because he thought that if he let me win in Candyland, I might play longer if I was allowed to win. So I was trying to get my four-year-old grandson to win, and he was trying to get his 64-year-old grandfather to win. And we were actually wrestling and even cheating a little bit to get the other person uh, to win. And I thought about that as I prepared for this message. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if we were all about helping each other win um, rather than ourselves? Now, maybe that's not a good way to say it because I believe in my convictions. You believe in your convictions. So I'm not going to just swap them just for the sake of changing them. I believe in my convictions. You believe in your convictions. But maybe we should put it a different way. What if we, we put all of our energy into understanding each other more than being understood by each other? Instead of taking all our energy to know how to say just the right um, um, thing on uh, Instagram or in an email or in a conversation where we can have the final word and I, I've made my point and, and now you're forced to understand my point and I drop the mic and walk out. What if we put our energy into understanding each other as much, if not more, than being understood by the other person? So with that in mind, I just want to close with the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, who was a Christ follower and wrote this prayer 800 years ago, right around 1220, 800 years ago. Here's what he wrote. Make me a channel of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring your love. Where there is injury, your pardon, Lord. And where there's doubt, true faith in you. 
Make me a channel of your peace. Where there's despair in life, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, only light. And where there's sadness, ever joy. Oh, Master, grant that I may never seek so much to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love with all my soul. Make me a channel of your peace. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, in giving of ourselves that we receive, and in dying that we're born to eternal life. Amen.